and welcome to the Seahawkers podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz, and I am joined by my good buddy, Adam Emmert. Adam, how you doing? Yeah, good to uh, be rescued from the shop today, man. I've been out there grinding away at uh, some Gulchworks products and uh, covered in sawdust. But then you were like, dude, what's going on with this coaching thing? Like, we, we need to talk about it. And I was like, sweet, I'm cold. I'd like to come in and talk about coaches anyway. So here we are. We are through another week of the coaching search, and we've seen a couple of people have second interviews. We've seen people with second interviews get hired by other teams. I, I think it was a little bit of a surprise to see. It, it looked like the Atlanta Falcons were headed in the direction of Bill Belichick, and then they go and they hire Raheem Morris, which he was one of the candidates that I was intrigued by. I think I picked him as my number three, although since then I, I've kind of done a little bit of shifting in terms of of what I think I want in the, in the next coach. But uh, so that decision's made. There's now two teams left, the Washington Commanders and the Seattle Seahawks with head coaches. And there's more than two good candidates left on the board. Yeah, the slow play is working very well for John Schneider. And that's one of the things I had kind of realized over these last couple of days. It's like, I'm impatient because I want to know who the coach is, of course. Like, just hire a dude. Like, let's go. Like, I, I can't wait. But also knowing that John has kind of played this just right. He's got his pick of the litter of some fantastic candidates yet. And he seems to be about the only one who has any sort of patience in terms of waiting on Ben Johnson or Mike McDonald. And that's worked out to our advantage as well. So one of the things you mentioned is uh, you had Raheem Morris on your list. You've kind of reconfigured that. And yeah, I feel like my list has changed a couple of times. As we've gone here as well, uh, for example, Vrabel was at the top of my list there, I think, last time we talked. And then I heard that uh, if he came to the Seahawks, it'd be a package deal with Arthur Smith and then as OC. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm good on that. Uh, I, I'd <laughs> rather have somebody else. So that, that kind of dropped that out of the running at that point for me. So I wonder if a lot of other 12s are kind of having the same situation where they have a guy in mind right at first and they're real excited. And then as more information comes out, I've changed your minds a few times, but maybe that's how it's working for John too. And that's why it's taken a minute to make a decision here. Well, I feel like a lot of folks have kind of aligned themselves and either a, it's gotta be Ben Johnson or Mike hmm. McDonald camp because they're the two hottest names left in part because they're, two of the coordinators that are still in the playoffs and they have their team looking good. They may be facing each other in the Super Bowl, depending on the outcome of games on Sunday. And it just seems like those two names are kind of the, the hot names. And then everybody else kind of sort of has fallen off. I mean, Dan Quinn, one of those guys who came in for a second interview and the Seahawks still haven't announced anything. So obviously they weren't wowed to the point like the Falcons were to where they say, okay, well, Raheem Morris, you can't even go to Seattle to do your second interview because we're going to hire you right now. And Dan Quinn, when you talk about one of those pairing names, I, I saw a tweet from somebody with uh, oh, a media outlet in Oregon that said that Quinn might come along with Chip Kelly as his offensive coordinator and that kind of got me away from Quinn, too. Yeah, if that's true, which who knows if it is or not. But if it is true, hard no. Hard no. The hardest of no's. No, thank you. I, I do not need Chip Kelly around our program in any way. Uh, fine college coach. I think he could stick there and have a great career. And that's good for him. But no, thank you in the NFL. Uh, that quick pace stuff. 
no time of possession, just his style of ball, I don't think works for the NFL, at least in this period in time. Maybe he's 15 years ahead of his time for all we know. I don't know. But Dan Quinn's kind of feeling like the safety school, Brandon. That's how it feels like to me. But the thing is, is that the safety is probably five names deep in terms of the other guys I want. Because I I also fall into that camp of I want Ben Johnson or Mike McDonald. Commanders seem like they're going to go hard for Johnson from Detroit. And it might make a lot of sense for him, depending on what Johnson wants. The commanders could be appealing. Having the number two overall pick, you get to pick one of the top quarterbacks. So, and, and they have a bunch of cap space. So if you want to be a part of managing that, then maybe that's more appealing for what he wants to do in his coaching career. It does seem like an easier way to to crash and burn, but a lot of these guys aren't thinking about trying to play it safe or going to where there's already a, a group of talent. At least I don't think so. I would think that every head coaching candidate is like, well, okay, if it's my term to be up, I really hope that there's some good situations to go to. And I understand that Dan Snyder's gone uh, from the commies and all that. And you dealing with magic Johnson and whoever the actual owner is. I can never remember his name, but um, sure. Maybe that's exciting. Some people had said that he was linked to the GM. Other people say that's bogus. Who the heck knows, but you said the commies are Jones and for Johnson. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I think of these two jobs that are left. I think it's pretty clear that the Seahawks are easily hands down without question the better situation for a coach to go to. And I think that works in their advantage. I think it's helped John be patient throughout the process too. Yeah, I could definitely see that. So it does at least allow them then to wait until these other coordinators come available. I did see the report, uh, Corbin Smith, I think. And uh, there was another reporter too that talked about why Mike McDonald hadn't been brought in for an interview. And it all has to do with the fact that they were the number one seed the Ravens were. And so even to request that the Seahawks would have had to put in for an interview three days before the end of the season when Pete Carroll was still the head coach of the team. So they have to wait for Mike McDonald if that's a candidate that they want. And that could be a part of the reason for waiting too. another appealing candidate, a guy who we've seen shut down the Niners and and playing in a division where you got to face McVay and Shanahan a defensive minded coach that's that seems to be able to to you know coordinate at least a defense against those types of teams that has a lot of appeal but there there's things that go along with having an offensive guy that are appealing too so of the remaining candidates you, you mentioned that Vrabel was kind of off your list how does your list now shake out mm, i would say McDonald's probably my first choice and I know a lot of people prefer the offensive guy and everybody points to, well, if you get the offensive guy, then you're not getting your offensive coordinator poached all the time. Do, 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 do. And the thing is, is that that uh, argument has all sorts of merit in totally based in logic. And I understand. And I think it's a good thought to have when you're looking at, you know, picking a coach here. The other aspect of it is, is that, well, maybe the offensive guys have been poached so heavily over the last few years that the pool of true brilliance is maybe a little bit uh, diluted. Whereas mm. on the defensive side of the ball, maybe somebody like Mike McDonald, uh, you know, hasn't had a shot yet because people aren't really looking at defensive coordinators at this point. So maybe you get a better guy. And also, too, 
you know, if you want to beat McVeigh and or the McShanahan's, I heard somebody say that the other day. I like it. I'm totally stealing it. The McShanahan's, uh, you do have to stop them. You have to stop them. And it's not just a matter of, well, okay, get a quarterback and outscore them every single game. That's a strategy. It is um, a poor one. I, I would much rather see a coach come in that can help the side of the ball. We need the most help on. Sure, Ben Johnson, number two, you bet. Because I'm not out on an offensive guy. If they hire an offensive guy, I'm not mad about it. That's a great choice. That's a great choice. And as far as the third choice at this point, probably be Vrabel as long as it's not a uh, Arthur you Smith situation. you got to take Vrabel off your list at this point. He's not, he's not, he's not even coming. coming here. You asked me what my list was. That would be my list. Now, in you didn't ask me about probability. Uh, that, that's okay. a different thing. Uh, you're right. It's probably a far fetch. Um, Even with Arthur Smith, that that pairing, you're, you'd still be in on. I it. said as long as it did come with Arthur Smith, oh. but yeah, and you know, you kind of go down the rest of the list. In those are a lot of the candidates that, while maybe appealing in some ways or another, uh, aren't exactly as well, I guess titillating as say Ben Johnson or Mike McDonald. For me, it's those same two names, but flip flop them because I think mm-hmm. there is a lot of merit to that argument of, Hey, if Ben Johnson can go out and he can find a defensive coordinator, then who shoot. If you take a secondaries coach off of the Ravens, maybe they're part of that same mindset that can then come in and be the defensive coordinator. And then you have kind of, the best of both worlds, that similar mindset that's coming from a Raven system and you have your offensive head coach and you don't have to worry about your coordinator getting poached like Dan Quinn had to worry about it when Shanahan left and became a head coach for the 49ers. So I mean, I, people poach I, DCs as well. Like we know that well, they right? do. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. the, the thing is when you're getting your coordinators poached, it means your team's having success. And right. so you know, have, have the Rams had less success having to to had their coordinators poached year after year? No. Yes. Sean McVay they only finds won the away. Super Bowl the one time. They've had less success have, since well, yeah, then. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Shanahan continuing to have success, bringing in different coordinators. So that uh, even with McDaniel going down to Miami and true. Uh, so yeah, that uh, it is possible to at least to continue to have success, and uh, I think you tend to see it more with the the continued success on the offensive side of the ball. Okay. My number three, I'm leaning toward Mike Kafka. And the thing that surprised me is the amount of negativity around Mike Kafka. And the, the weird thing is, is that two years ago, before he went to be the offensive coordinator of the, the New York giants, the guy would have been looked at, like one of these prodigy dudes who'd come up under uh, an all-timer in Andy Reid, who's worked with Patrick Mahomes, who had success, who was part of a Super Bowl-winning organization. And I, I really like guys who have played quarterback then who work their way up and become head coaches because they have that type of mindset of how do I make it easier on my quarterback And having that experience to build off of then, I I think it translates really well. You tend to see a lot of guys who were former quarterbacks, whether it was not necessarily at the NFL level, but if they were quarterbacks, even at the college level, that tends to translate to NFL head coaching success. And Mike Holmgren is one of those examples. And Kafka falls under the Holmgren coaching tree. Andy Reid, 
coached with Mike Holmgren. So in that sense, we'd be going back to the Mike Holmgren coaching tree if we brought Mike Kafka in. How is this bad? Uh, technically, I think it'd be the Bill Walsh coaching tree. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, they both coach together because I'm, I'm not sure that, uh, you know, uh, Reed or Holmgren uh, comes They're from part of the same other, tree. Right? Yeah, don't try, same don't tree. try and get uh, nitpicky with me. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to the Kafka thing, look, there's a few things that are super appealing to me. One is, and you hit on it, not just a former quarterback, but a former player who was middling rather than great. I like that. That's a guy. If you can stick around the league without much talent, that means you got, you know, some smarts in that seems appealing. Secondly, just like you talked about just being around Andy Reed and having that pedigree, because I do believe pedigree is important. We talked about it in our three things that uh, we'd like to see in coaches. That was one of mine. I want to see somebody that has come from a winning situation. Doesn't just have good energy, but comes from a, uh, a winning situation or has been around winning situations. And then you talk about his time on the Giants in look, Dable was coach of the year. Was he not the first year with the Giants when he got into the Super Bowl uh, or not to the Super Bowl, but to the playoffs? They that, went to the playoffs. They were the third team in the division in 2022. A team, the Cowboys went, the Eagles went. They were the number six seed. The Seahawks were number seven. They won a playoff game against the Vikings. That was a yeah. Kafka-coached offense with Daniel Jones as the quarterback. And in that playoff game, the Vikings come out, score seven points right away, mm -hmm. and the, they respond with back-to-back -back scoring drives of touchdowns, and they're up 14-7, and they go on to win 31-24 to against the Vikings. So, I, And then you look at the, them having injuries this year and still having success. I, the the Giants thing, it doesn't even seem all that bad now. It seems like it actually enhances what happened after coming from the Chiefs. Yeah, it's one of those things where you, you look at what he's done with the Giants and you're like, well, they haven't had a crap ton of success. But with that said, I mean, overcoming adversity, I think that's important. I think the idea that he's now worked under Andy Reid and now under Dable, who helped develop Josh Allen, uh, I think that's important. The idea that they got the they played, they got Daniel Jones to play so well that they tricked ownership into giving him $40 million a year. Like that's crazy to me. Now that would be my first question. If I was John Schneider, Hey, were you in on this Daniel Jones re-up? Because if you were, that's a big check in the minus right there. I don't know what you were thinking. And then to take the passing pies on and have some success this year. And the other thing, as they were running the offense, even with DeVito, it was aggressive. You know, downfield throws with your third stringer, all that stuff. I like that. And I could see why he's your third choice. I, I could totally get on board with that. At first blush, like you're saying, just the idea. Well, he's the OC of the Giants. You'd be like, oh, oh yeah. God, what like yeah. what have they done? No, please no. <laughs> right. And that's where I feel like a difference from Patrick Graham, where I go back and I look through his background, and I don't see any time with organizations that have had sustained success. Except the Patriots. Right. Way back. In the I don't day. know. I don't know why you crossed the Patriots off his list of, of being in an organization of sustained success. Way back in the day. Way, way back, back in the, the day. It was when they beat the Seahawks in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Way back in the day. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> in case you haven't forgotten, Brandon, all the people that wanted Pete fired, we'll let you know that was over a decade ago. That was over okay. a decade ago. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of not sure whether I put Graham ahead or behind of Averro. Ijero Averro coming in for an interview too on Saturday. I, I I kind of just in terms of his 
of how I expect he deals with players. I, I think I still put Graham ahead of Avero, but I like how Avero is on the podium too. So, and I feel like Ejero gets kind of crossed off too because people go, oh, well, he was on a defense. Uh, you know, what did he do with the Panthers last year? Well, it was a really bad situation with the Panthers last year. They had a quarterback who couldn't move the ball. Their offensive line stunk. That does not set up the defense for success. So I I don't know what you can necessarily say that uh, how good would he have had to have been then to at least have that on his resume. It, the, you look back to the Broncos and he had a really successful year with them. Absolutely. Ask any Broncos fan. They were hoping that he would take the head coaching gig after Hackett left uh, until they decided to get in the Sean Payton sweepstakes, which may have turned out to be a great choice for them in kind of trending in that direction. And Sean Payton's a great coach, no doubt about it. I would put Averro over top of Graham easily just because I have seen success from a defense that he has coached when he's had a little bit of talent. And even with having to overcome Nathaniel Hackett daily uh, in the building, he was still managed to have success. The players seem to uh, revere him. Patrick Graham feels a lot to me like the cult of personality guy of this coaching hiring circle here in it just feels like everybody's like, he's such a great guy. He's so energetic. Listen to his stuff. Okay, cool. That's great. That's great. And maybe I'm being uh, exactly as I was when they hired Pete Carroll. I was like, I don't want that guy. What, all positive all the time? Rah, rah, Pete. Like, what has he really done? You know, Maybe I could be dead wrong about that one, too. But that's just how my gut uh, goes on that one. When it comes down to, well, whether it's him or Avero or Mike McDonald, it really then depends on, too, who their connections are as to what offensive coordinator is going to be brought in along with them. Yeah, we, we heard Arthur Smith with uh, and Chip Kelly tied to other defensive coaches and we're like, oh, no. And it could easily change my mind that if Mike McDonald said, oh, my offensive coordinator would be this guy, uh, that my Chatty. my thoughts on him. <laughs> not, would not Mike be so McDonald high. and shoddy shoddy. I'd, I'd be in on that. I, I'm not out on Brian Schottenheimer. I thought when he was here as offensive coordinator, he struck me as a guy who would be a better coach than he is necessarily a coordinator. He just, mm. because he has that background of growing up in football, a lot like Kyle Shanahan, mm -hmm. the fact that he hasn't had a lot of success, like, huge success as an offensive coordinator that doesn't necessarily bother me because I think he just, he needs to be in the position then to find guys to hire at those positions that where he just, he manages essentially. I guess seeing what happened to Russ after he left Seattle and knowing that shoddy might've gotten the best out of Russ that entire time he was here in Seattle, maybe the rest of the team wasn't, you know, it's super bowl caliber in a couple of those years, but he got the best out of Russ. That, impresses me way more now than it did at the time. I was like, oh, geez, you know, I mean, Shadi could do more here. And also, too, he's working under the constraints of Coach Carroll, I'm sure, in, right. uh, for better or for worse, depending on your viewpoint. But I wouldn't mind Shadi. That, that'd be fine. I, I don't think he's on anybody's radar as a head coaching candidate right now, but as an OC. So um, and you could hire him as an OC away from the Cowboys because apparently McCarthy has play-calling duties and mm -hmm. so it would still be an elevation of duties to to be able to to poach an offensive coordinator and say you're the main play caller. There you go. And then so you get your new guy. Let's say you get McDonald, right? Fresh head coach, all of that, relatively young. 
bring a guy like Shoddy. He's got experience. He's a little bit of the uh, the Wade Phillips uh, for Sean McVay kind of thing. You know, a, an older head who's been around and a guy that John Schneider has a ton of rapport with and knows very well from his time in Seattle to help continue the culture and all that stuff that it sounds like is important to the owner. So I guess that, that would be, I think that would be probably my favorite pairing, but again, you could talk me off of that in 15 different ways because there are just a lot of good candidates out here left and the glacial play by John Schneider paying dividends. I am kind of curious to know what people think of that idea of bringing Brian Schottenheimer back. I, I have a feeling that it's more negative than positive, to be honest. That's fine. That's okay. I, I understand that. I, I think Shotty's been a little better than he's been given credit for over the years in terms of being OC and all that stuff. A lot to watch over these next few weeks, and we'll at least have an idea come Monday of if either of these coordinators are going to be available for interviews. Absolutely. Uh, I don't think Ben Johnson's going to uh, be available, and uh, I don't think Mike McDonald's going to be available either if things go the way that I want them to go. If they go the way I want them to go, then yes. Uh, unfortunately, it means that our head coaching search would be put off for another couple weeks. I would be fine with that. I'd be <laughs> a million percent fine with that because that would mean that the Niners would be sitting there wondering if they need to embark on a head coaching search of their own, and that would be really great. And I think with that, there's only one thing left to say. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Go Hawks.